The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org. It's easy. All you need is love. Love. Love is all you need. And so everybody goes looking for something. Some want to be used. Some want to be used by you. At least that's what the Eurythmics say. And so we, as a result, because we believe that it's easy and all we need is love, we go looking for love in all the wrong places. We go looking for love and too many faces. And for whatever reason, it never seems to work. If it was easy and all we needed was love, then we wouldn't have so many broken hearts, so many stories that don't end in happily ever afters. We wouldn't have such high suicide rate and such high divorce rate and such high percentage of people having to use all kinds of mind-altering drugs and antidepressants. This is not a statement of judgment. It's a statement of reality that it's clearly not as easy as the Beatles said it was. Yeah, maybe all we need is love, but I'm not sure we found the right place to look for love. And so wherever we're looking for love, it's clearly not working. And I fear that maybe we've traded what's best for something less. We've exchanged a God design for a counterfeit. And it leaves every one of us broken. In fact, that's what I want to bring to your attention right now. In ancient times, there was a spokesman of God, the title they would use is a prophet. And this guy named Jeremiah wrote down his sermons that he spoke on behalf of God and they became recorded in sacred history and passed down through generations to where we have it today in the Bible. This guy, Jeremiah, captured that very idea, leveraging a metaphor about water, where he wrote in Jeremiah chapter two, verse 13, my people, this is, he's speaking on behalf of God. And he said, my people have done two evils. Two horrible things have happened in every one of our lives. They have turned away from me, the spring of living water, and they dug their own wells, which are broken wells that cannot hold water. He said, the two horrible things that have happened in every one of our lives is first, we rejected the spring of living water, what is best in our lives, which is found in God alone, and we exchanged or we counterfeited what is best in God as the spring of living water by digging our own wells, by looking for love in other places where we try to manufacture it or we try to find it on our own. And as a result, what we discovered were wells that were broken. And in this ancient time where Jeremiah was speaking, when he made this reference, anybody hearing his sermon immediately knew what he was saying because a broken well in these ancient times had no value. So what they would do is they would use these broken, empty wells as a place for dumping their trash. 
Think about it. You have this giant hole in your backyard that does not provide any good nourishment of water. So what they do is they'd fill the well with their garbage or worse, they would use it as a toilet. Worse than even a toilet, if they wanted to torture someone because of what was in the well, they would just throw them in it. I mean, that's disgusting, right? And then when they had a dead body that they didn't want to properly bury because this body doesn't even deserve proper treatment, they would just throw the body in the well. And so here, what Jeremiah is saying is they traded the best of God, not only for something less, but for a broken well that has no more value than to be treated as a toilet, as a dumping ground, and as a burial site. And I wonder how many of you have experienced something similar where your heart feels like a broken well and others have used it as a dumping ground and you've allowed it to be treated like a toilet. Worse, maybe you feel like it's a burial ground right now full of skeletons and dark places and maybe you feel death inside of you. Maybe you've given up on love. Maybe you said, I don't want to deal with this anymore. Maybe you've resigned yourself to a loveless relationship. Your heart is a burial site. And what, what is the right response? What do we do with the brokenness in our own hearts that feels like a broken well? And so I want to bring you to two more stories in the Bible because it gives you insight into what God has to say about this issue. The first story we're going to look at is set in Jesus' time. So that's the New Testament of the Bible. Jesus is journeying between two villages where he is speaking. And on his way, most Jewish people would avoid the region of Samaria because the Samaritans uh, would be the most uh, outcast group of people in the country. The Samaritans are religiously different. They are socioeconomically the, the weakest and most vulnerable. And they are ethnically outcast. So this really, this situation really speaks to the, the climate in our own country and globally right now. So Jesus, though, instead of avoiding the region of Samaria, he walks right through it. And as he's walking, it's the middle of the day in a desert climate, he's parched. His friends, his followers, the disciples, they went off to get lunch. Jesus is alone uh, outside of the village of Samaria, thirsty, and he sees a woman drawing water at a well in the middle of the heat of the day, which nobody does. The reason they don't do that is most people would go out during the cool of the day, the morning or late evening hours, uh, because of course you don't want to go out and draw well, water in the heat because you're going to get dehydrated and the water that you bring by the time you get it back to the village it'll probably all evaporate anyway and so this woman the re the what's jumps out to you quickly is she's probably an outcast uh, among outcasts she's an outcast and jesus walks up to this woman and says hey would you draw me some water would you get me a drink and immediately her prejudice her feeling of being abused and used, she uses to create a wedge between her and this parched man who is asking for water. And she immediately says, why would you, a Jewish man, ask me, a Samaritan woman, for water? You hate me. At least you're supposed to hate me. 
And here is Jesus' response, and here is the response that actually speaks right to this issue of how God responds to people whose hearts are like broken wells. And quickly, you're going to discover that this is not actually about physical water. Here's what Jesus says in verse 13 of John chapter 4. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And Jesus speaks to this woman. I know you thought I was asking you for a drink of water. But actually, if you knew who I was, you would ask me and I would give you water so that you would never thirst again. And quickly, you're like, wait, wait, I don't think Jesus is talking about H2O here. I I think he's talking about something deeper. Yes, Jesus is talking about the deepest part of what we're longing for. He's talking about a spiritual drink so that you and I are deeply emotionally, mentally, and relationally filled so that we have a spring of living water bubbling up inside of us so that we don't keep going back to the very things that destroy us. And so let me switch gears. I'm going to bring you to another story. We're going to go back in time, several hundred years, to the story of a king, King Solomon, who uh, a young peasant woman catches his eye. And so this book in the Bible called Song of Songs is an eight-chapter book about them falling in love, their romance, their marriage, and then the intimate details of their marriage. I'll bet you didn't know this was even in the Bible. There is a book of the Bible called Songs, and the idea is that it's the greatest love song ever written, and it's a story about a king and his peasant bride, and the journey from catching each other's eye to the intimate details of their marriage. It's written very discreetly, yet directly. It's vulnerable and honest, it's sensual and sexual, but it is powerful because it illustrates to us some of the most central principles about relationships, about love, about marriage, about sexuality, and about sex itself. And it might shock you to discover that there's an entire book of the Bible written just about sex. Which means God is not avoiding it. God doesn't think it's bad. In fact, it was God's idea. And so we're going to talk honestly, yet with dignity, about such a powerful and important subject. And so let me just jump right into the song, because it starts out with a bang. I mean, buckle up. Here we go. Songs, chapter one. Here we go. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. You thought you were reading some fantasy book. For your love is more delightful than wine. We're just going to keep jumping here. Verse 15, he's saying, how beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes are doves. And she responds, how handsome you are, my lover. Oh, how charming. And our bed is verdant. He says, the beams of our house are cedars. Our rafters are firs. And some of you are like, I'm getting uncomfortable here. Others of you are like, whoa, we need to settle down. All right. Um, Why? 
Why is this here? And why did I just read this? So we've got Jesus talking with this woman at the well saying, if you come to me, I will give you water that will never leave you thirsting again. We got this ancient book called Songs, the greatest love song ever written. And it opens with her saying, kiss me with your kisses. You're amazing. And he, he's saying to her, our love is so strong that it's as though our house was built with cedar beams. And his point, her point, is that there is something to our love relationship that isn't cheap frills. It's not just passing lust. It's not just built on a sex-crazed culture. There is something that anchors our relationship that goes beyond the love songs you're hearing on the radio, the songs you have on your, your playlist. It goes beyond what Hollywood is pumping into the movies and the media that you're consuming. They're saying there's something stable and secure, something powerful about our love relationship. And then you have Jesus saying to this woman, come to me, I'll give you a, a drink from water that when you drink it, it won't leave you constantly thirsty, but it will become in you a spring of living water. What is the point? And both stories point to the same central theme that transcends time and enters right into your heart where the broken well leaves you parched and thirsty for more. And it's this, you and I, we need to find the one. We're looking for the one. You look for the one. You thought you found the one. Now you're looking for a different one. Some of you have given up on the hunt for the one. And so Valentine's Day to you is a frustrating time because you've, you're just like, I'm sick of people asking me if I found somebody, if I have a Valentine. I don't care about flowers and roses. I'm done with love. And you need to find the one. And you're married. Marriage is all of a sudden not quite what you thought it was going to be. I'm going to challenge you to find the one. Find a new one. Thought you'd never hear that from a pastor. <laughs> hey, my daughter's hearing me preach, and daddy's really protective. And yet I'm telling my daughters, you need to find the one. And when this woman at the well hears Jesus say about the idea that he can give her a drink from water that will never leave her thirsty again, her response the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. I want what you're offering. What you don't know is that this woman, the reason she's an outcast is what we're about to find out next where Jesus says, before we go any further in our conversation, go get your husband. She says, I don't have a husband. He goes, all right, let's stop playing games here. It's true, you don't have a husband right now. That's because you had five husbands and the guy you're living with now, you're not even married to, you're just living together. And this woman's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. This conversation took a radical right turn and I'm not sure I'm ready to go there. And then she paused, she's like, this, you, what? How do you even know this stuff? And here's where Jesus was going with this conversation. He goes, you are looking for water in broken wells, what is your broken well? And so he calls it right out for her. He goes, your well is you're looking for it in relationships. You keep going from man to man to man, looking for someone to give you what you most deeply long for, but it's not working. What is your broken well? What's leaving your heart broken? 
J.K. Chesterton, a preacher of over 100 years ago, his, his comment was this. Every man who knocks on the door of a brothel is looking for God. Think about that for a moment. What is your broken well? Whatever you're going to that leaves you hungry or thirsty for more, but never satisfies that, whatever that broken well is, is constantly leaving you empty, searching for more. But what you're most looking for is not found in that broken well. That boyfriend you're hoping to get, he's not going to meet your greatest need. That drug that you want to go back to, that, that career that you want, that new job, that promotion, that bank account, that new car, any, that new thing, whatever you're looking to to say, that will satisfy me. That will give me my happily ever after. It's a broken well. It will leave us empty and longing for more. And so the deepest reason why we're empty is this, what has cracked our hearts and left us broken is this attribute in every one of us called sin. Sin is what has broken our heart. Sin is the crack in the well. Sin is what drives us away from God, leaving the spring of living water to, pers- excuse me, to pursue our own desires. Sin is the drive in every one of us that makes us believe that our desires are good and will satisfy us even though every time we drink from them, they leave us thirsting for more. Sin is what convinces us to, every one of us, don't don't think I'm pointing fingers here, every one of us have a drive called sin, everyone in the world around us has a drive called sin that pushes us away from God to pursue our own desires. That's why every song, every movie, the books you read are all telling you to go in a direction that will destroy you. And yet, what every movie and every song and every popular book, even the 50 shades that are darker than gray, all of that, what it's really pointing to is something more. That won't satisfy. In fact, the author, In the songs, they conclude their song by pointing you in the right direction. Because here is the reality. The reason why none of that will ever satisfy is sin comes with a price tag. The price tag is that we're cut off from relationship with God and on a crash course trajectory with a forever far away from God. So not only does sin wreck our lives and wreck relationships and leave us thirsty with broken wells in our heart that are of no more value than to be treated as a toilet or a dump or a burial site, but it cuts us off from relationship with God where we live forever suffering as the payment for our wrongdoing and sin. And so how do we mend our hearts and discover a living water that will never leave us thirsty again? So I'm going to get to the end of the song, the greatest love song, where they give you the answer to a love story that works. It's found in Songs chapter 8, verse 6. Where, the, where she is singing and she says, place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm, for love is as strong as death. It's jealousy 
unyielding as the grave. It burns like a blazing fire, like a mighty flame. And right there, whoa, slow down. I know you don't see it in the English language, but in the original language in the Hebrew, the way this song was written, it's the only reference to God in this entire eight-chapter love song. And right there, what you don't see is that what, what the author is saying is this. This love that is as unyielding as the grave, it's as jealous as the, as the grave. He goes like this. He goes, it burns like a blazing fire, like the fire of almighty God. That mighty flame, what he's really saying is the flame of Yahweh, which I know quickly, maybe you're not jumping to the story, but what he's picturing is the story of this guy, Moses. That's the, the guy who delivered Israel out of uh, the bondage of slavery in Egypt. They, they got to the Red Sea, they, you know, the waters are divided. Moses who meets God in a burning bush in the desert wilderness. And when he meets God, he's, he's, he's looking at this burning bush that is not consumed and God speaks to him from the flames and Moses responds and says but who are you what's your name and he says my name is Yahweh and what that name means is I am the I am I am the only uncreated one who loves you and loves people all people and so just a moment in this love song they do this little poetic thing where they go like this the only reason our love song is so great the only reason our love story works is because the source of the flame that burns inside of us for each other is sourced from the flame of Yahweh the same God who burned in the burning bush burns in our hearts and gives us the fuel of love for each other that's why it works so then they continue many waters cannot quench this love rivers cannot wash it away if one were to give all the wealth of his house for love it would be utterly scorned you can't buy this kind of love you can't buy it because Jesus paid for it Jump back ahead to the woman at the well. What is Jesus offering? He's, also, he's offering a love that comes from him alone. In fact, the woman says this. She said, this is, first, uh, this is John chapter 4, verse 25. The woman said, I know that the Messiah, the coming one called Christ, when he comes, he will explain everything to us. He'll make sense of all this. And then Jesus declared, I who speak to you, am he. I am the one. You need to find the one. Jesus is saying, I am the one. Just then the disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what, what do you want? Why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I, have, I ever did. Could this be the Christ? He knows everything about me. He hasn't judged or condemned me. He's offered me living water. Could it be that he's the one? And my challenge to you is, if you're going to find the one, Jesus is the one. Jesus is the one your heart is most longing for. Jesus is the only one that takes broken wells and offers a spring of living water. Jesus is the only one that gave his life on a cross to pay the penalty for our sins so that anyone who believes in Jesus by faith is forgiven of their sins and given new life because he not only washes away our shame and guilt, but he allows his spirit to enter into our spirit. And when we are reunited in relationship with God, we are filled with the source of life and love so that we have the love of God forever quenching our thirst.
When you believe in Jesus by faith, you have now tapped into the spring of living water, a spring that enters you by God's spirit and then fills you and spills out of you. Whatever you're using to try to satisfy your desire, it will leave you thirsting for more until you tap into Jesus as the one. Find the one in Jesus alone. He alone satisfies. He alone fills. He alone fuels. He alone forgives. In fact, this author who wrote the story, John, who was a follower of Jesus, who, who was one of the disciples that left to go get lunch and then came back and were like, what is Jesus doing talking to that lady? Right? John's the guy who wrote the gospel of John. Later in his life, after he saw the death and resurrection of Jesus, he became a pastor of one of the great churches in the first century. John, late in his life, he writes letters to those churches. In the Bible, they're simply called 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, the 1st, 2nd, 3rd letter of John to the church. He, he becomes known as the apostle of love. And in his letter, he writes about how you receive this love from Jesus. And so I'm just going to quote it and read it to you in, in that letter he's challenging us about the fact that Jesus is the one. He says in his first letter of John, chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. I mean, what a powerful statement. He goes like this, if you come to Jesus, all of the past, all of the shame, all of the guilt, all of that broken junk that has filled the well of your life, all of the excrement that has piled on and has left you feeling like garbage, all of the death that is piling up inside of you, Jesus Christ will forgive you of sin, remove the shame and guilt, cleanse you, right? Wash you of that garbage, the spring of living water, washing out the impurities that have come from your heart being treated like a broken well. He wants to cleanse you and make you new. Right now, through faith in Jesus Christ, the cleansing water of the Holy Spirit can begin to wash your heart, make you new, refresh you, and fill your life. Heal the broken places. But not only does he forgive, he fuels. So John continues to write in his, in his first letter of John chapter four, let me read. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Love. Love is all you need. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. This is how we understand love. See, the, everything around you is, is going to try to define love to you. You're going to see commercials, you're listening to songs, you're watching movies, you're talking to friends, and everybody's telling you what it means to experience love. But the author, John, is saying, no, 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 it's all wrong. It's all broken wells. This is how you understand love. God became one of us to give his life as the payment for us to receive life. And he gave it sacrificially. This is love. Not that we love God. Not that we could earn God's love through, re through re religion or enough prayers or enough goodness. This is love. That he loved us first and gave his son as a sacrifice for our sins. 
When you and I get this and we find the one because Jesus is the one and we believe in Jesus by faith, everything changes because you and I become tapped into the, the spring of living water and he forgives and he fills and he fuels, which means this, we center our life around the spring of living water right here in our own community. You can go to some of the, uh, um, like these old homesteads The Hager House is an example. And many of the communities around our region, you can go to these old homes, homes that are, you know, 200, 250, 300 years old. And there's something interesting about every one of the homes. They were all built on a spring. The reason they were built on springs is because in, you know, hundreds of year old time, um, the Indians did not appreciate that people were moving into these communities. And so they would poison the water to kill the family to get rid of them. So what they would do, a family moving in, would build their home on a spring. They would center their entire life around a spring because they would have the source directly under the house. It would keep the house cool, and it would give them a source of water. So even if they were being hunted or, um, you know, camped around and fought against, they would be able to live for a very long time in their house because they had water. And what a great principle that you and I need to find the one, Jesus is the spring of living water, that you build your entire life on and around. Marriage, romance, relationships, every aspect of your life does not work unless it's built like a house built under, on top of the spring of living water. Now, when you receive and your life is centered and anchored on the one Jesus, then and only then do you have something to offer others, which I'll continue to read this, the very next verse in 1 John chapter 4. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. The woman who meets Jesus, she immediately wants to run back and tell others, I've met someone who knows everything about me, did not judge me. Could this be the Christ? Could he be the one? And she immediately wants to share the news. John said, this is love. Not that you love God, but that he loves you and he gave his son as a sacrifice for you. He goes, and when you discover this kind of love, since God so loved us, let us love others. The, the mission of our, of our church, the mission of the church, Lifehouse Church, to share and show the love of Jesus with people far away from God. Our whole mission, the reason we exist, is that we have been loved by God, and we want to share his love with anyone and everyone we possibly can. And we don't care, regardless of uh, your gender, regardless of your race or ethnicity, regardless of your socioeconomic class. We, we don't judge between Jew and Samaritan, between male and female, between Greek and Hebrew. We don't care all of that stuff that divides so many people. We're like, we want to share the one. We have good news of God's love. And in your life, when you receive new life because you found the one in Jesus, you're filled with love to share that love. And so I wanna wanna give you some really easy next steps. First, we're doing a series called Love Songs and every week we're gonna cover a song and then challenge you with the principle of the word of God and going through the song of songs and I'm gonna do my best to be both discreet and yet direct. And I'm gonna speak to some tough issues 
But here's what I want to challenge you. There are friends, neighbors, coworkers, classmates, colleagues that desperately need to hear about the love of Jesus, and you have it. You know where the spring of living water is. Don't be greedy with God's love. So you're going to make it your mission this week. You're going to invite someone, okay? Would you do that? I'm asking you, every one of you, whether you're joining us at a physical campus, whether you're with us online, you make it your mission this week to invite one person and then do whatever it takes to get them to join us because we want them to experience the one. We want to share the one. But beyond that, in every other aspect of your life, it only works when Jesus is your source. Your marriage it doesn't work outside of Jesus at the center. But if you want your marriage to work, you have to be willing to share the love of Jesus with your spouse. Before you go getting caught up in a dating relationship, maybe you're single again, and you're going, man, I need someone in my life. Before you go that direction, find the one and then share the one. Every, any love you're going to give, it better come out of the source of the spring of living water found in Jesus. So I want to challenge you to respond. This is where it has to go from being practical to becoming personal. Would you make this personal? We believe that God's spirit is present. He's present in this place. He's present if you're watching online, wherever you are. He is in with you. He's in your room. He's with you as you're holding your phone or your computer. God's spirit is not limited by time and space. So right now, where you are, would you allow God's spirit to speak to you? Some of you, you've been looking for love in all the wrong places. And what you need is to find love only found in Jesus Christ. Would you make this your moment where you quiet your spirit and confess your sin, allow Jesus to forgive you of your sin and his spirit to fill your spirit. And if that's where you're at, you take this moment, you pause and you pray. If you believe in Jesus, you call yourself a Christian, let me challenge you. Are you tapped into Jesus as the spring of living water or are you using him like a religion? You kind of check that box and then you're like, I'll go on with the rest of my life. I'll figure out love. I'll figure out relationships. And you're not allowing Jesus to be the center. You've built your house somewhere else than on the spring of living water. Can I challenge you if you're a Jesus follower to get back to following Jesus? To get back into a loving relationship with Jesus where you would say, Jesus, your love is all I need. If that's where you're at, would you take a moment, would you pray? Pause your heart right now. Quiet your spirit and pray. Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church, located in Hagerstown, Maryland. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.